Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. It's every Thursday, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood sub-genres, Gangster Rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Concerts are back. Twitch versus the music industry and the biggest live act of 2020. You're listening to The Biz Tape. Welcome to episode 37 of The Biz Tape, your all things music business and media podcast. I'm your host, Colin McKay, with my co-host, Joseph Lazaleski. Hello. We're well, back. We're back. We're better than ever. I, I, let's not go that far. Uh, but <laughs> well, we got a nifty, cool camera. That is Colin. better, yes. We have a nifty, cool camera. Joe showing his skills to yeah. the world. Yeah. You know what? We decided uh, we actually did record video before, um, but we decided to uh, to chill out for a while from that. And Figure now, out some stuff and then come back to it. Yeah, so, you know, I had to go to the forest If you're audio myself. listening, I guess oh. I should say, if you're audio listening, then you're missing out seeing us. But uh, if you want to see it, it should be on YouTube at the Biz Tape uh, podcast, yeah. Podcast. B- yeah. Biz Tape Podcast. You can see every pore in our bodies. Right. <laughs> and bodies. Woo. <laughs> um, if you want to see where the other pores are, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> at the Biz Tape, email the Biz Tape Podcast at gmail.com with anything you want to talk about. It's always really fun. Uh, I've been super on Instagram. I, I'll get to it later. Very divisive. People have been messaging yeah. me about different opinions. People are It's pissed, always really Colin. fun. And I'm going to mention some of them on here. Uh, and We'll see how fun that is. So if you maybe want to get mentioned on the show a little bit, uh, hit us up. We'd love to talk to you about all these issues that are definitely not contentious or conflicting in any way. Yeah, no, it's really funny because today um, it's funny with doing those Instagram polls because you can see who votes. 
which I always think is kind of weird <laughs> that you can just kind of know that is true. Voting. It's not, it's not. Uh, and so like some of our friends will like vote in the thing and it's, it's, uh, it's always an entertaining thing to just kind of be like, hey, buddy, why'd you, <laughs> why did you why'd vote, you vote for that? <laughs> It'd be weird. Like, imagine, imagine if the, like the U.S. government came up to you and was like, hey, why'd you vote like that? Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not. I, people are sweating like listening right now. I'm not going to out anybody. No, so. no, no, no. You're good. It's just always good on that. And I love the engagement. So if you want to be maybe future on the show, come on in. Uh, so we got to start right off with I've seen a lot of people talking about Spotify and discovery mode which we had talked about when it was first announced in fall of 2020, which mm-hmm. I'll give you a refresher. But the reason why is because congressional members are wanting an answer from Spotify about it. Uh, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Rep. Jerry Nader, a Democrat from New York, and Subcommittee on Courts and Intellectual Property, and the Internet Chairman Rep. Hank Johnson Jr., a Democrat from Georgia, sent a letter to the streaming service exploring whether the feature could lead to lower pay for artists and fewer choices for consumers. Mm. Joe, you probably say this. Congressmen are very busy, so for them to actively be going after and asking questions is probably a little scary on Spotify's part it's yeah it's a it's probably a scary one for them because they have like so many things they you know everybody's yelling about them coronavirus relief you know civil rights all this kind of stuff paying artists paying (laughs) artists so when you get on the docket and the government specifically congress is asking you about it it means real deal they're coming for some answers yeah and here's some uh refresher for you about what they're curious about which is discovery mode so we talked about it again it launched fall of 2020 And the idea of it, which was very controversial, is that for a lower royalty rate, artists can enable specific songs that they choose to come up more often on Spotify when Spotify is automating playlists. Mm -hmm. So they take a pay cut. But they get more promotion. But they get more promotion. Gotcha. So the idea is maybe you released a song recently and you want people to maybe by proxy to discover more about your music. Oh, okay, well... I'll put it on discover mode for this song. It'll appear in more playlists. And then I, you know, hopefully we'll get more money in the long run because people become more like true paying fans. Yeah. They're paying an exposure, right? Yeah. This is where you're getting into it. Uh, I've seen basically supposedly the playlists that are affected by this are specific like artist stations and radio. So we're talking about stations such as summer hits or chill pop something that's more regulated and songs that automatically play when you run out of something on your queue. So if you listen to a whole album, then there's a chance that these discover songs could just come up at the end of it. If you don't have more music in the queue Hmm. now it's kind of up in the air, which is going to be an important thing later. If this is going to affect really personalized mixes, because that's also what on the consumer side, they're very afraid of is stuff like the daily mix and the discover weekly and Spotify has kind of been like ambiguous with, if that is the case. I remember when we looked at the patent that it looked like it was just a factor they turned on basically. So it wasn't like, Oh, it's 70% more now, but Spotify is also being super rightfully so protective of their algorithm and how it works. So nobody can get a good answer about like, how effective this is and how it's not. So I've seen critics of Spotify arguing, yes, this will affect personalized playlists. And I've seen Spotify kind of on the fence being like, no, not really. No, (laughs) you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. Right. Um, 
So Spotify claims that basically discovery mode is just a small factor again, which is trying to go away from like you're paying for exposure or some people have even go far as saying payola Mm. uh, because in their words, their system is very complicated. Yeah. Which if you don't know what payola is, it's an old radio term of uh, that actually was found to be illegal to do. They made it illegal through the federal, uh, like federal commission. Basically, they found out that a lot of radio DJs, these labels, and other artists would come up to them directly and pay them to yeah. play them on their radio station. So, like Led Zeppelin's manager was just like, "Hey, uh, I don't know, I don't know uh, directly them, but the like that's the Donkey idea. Uh, 4.0. Will you uh, play? Uh, I don't know a Robert Plant song, and they're like, we'll give you." you know all of this money or sneakily they'll be like oh we're gifting you something that's how we've talked about it before that's kind of how radio skirted that they'll be like you might get more promotion like packages and maybe somebody will come into the studio of your radio more often if you wink wink do something but it's it's pretty much cracked down completely right it is super regulated they Mm -hmm. the like uh the they will come after you. The government will come after you if you, especially in radio, but Spotify and streaming is kind of an open market. Yep. We've talked about it before with playlisting is that it can be really sketchy with people paying to get on playlists that are for lack of a better term, tastemakers make, which are people who are just valued for making their playlists. Yeah, and sometimes people, they're just normal people. Yeah, People who have will do payola playlist. that. So people are kind of concerned that Spotify and making this, uh, in my opinion, a little bit of a jump, but also not too far off in saying this is kind of like payola, but now Spotify gets their cut of it Mm. as opposed to something else. Um, A lot of people, including the congressmen, are very concerned also with this idea of racing to the bottom because especially after the pandemic year destroyed a lot of live income and income in general for musicians and the market, especially with more people getting on the internet side when they couldn't go do a, a show, uh, they're afraid that this will make a lot of uh, artists feel like they have to cut their royalty rate, that everyone just cuts their royalty rate. And then at the end of the day, is if everyone's promoted, is anyone promoted? Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, Spotify has until June 16th to reply to uh, the congressman who basically sent a letter to Eck, uh, who's the CEO of Spotify, being like, can you explain more of this? And so here's some questions that Congress kind of wants to know about discovery mode, and I thought we could like hypothetically talk about it. Um, one, they want to know, is this a permanent thing? So if you turn on discovery, I think this is twofold. Is it always on discovery mode if you turn it on discovery mode? So let's say I release a song and I say, week release discovery mode. Is it stuck there forever? Like, or can I turn it off? Or also, is this program forever? Is discovery mode just for a little bit of while for Spotify? Or is it going to last forever? I personally think on the second question that depending on the reaction that Spotify gets from this, especially since Spotify is the not scape rightfully so scapegoat of like royalty payments and the lowing and the low number of that for streaming. (laughs) So it might be PR wise, not a good idea to come out with discovery mode. So maybe it won't be permanent and maybe they won't do it, but who knows? So that's like the main thing. Joe, what do you think? I think it's kind of a weird route. It's a weird route. I, I have a feeling depending on public opinion, I think they will shift their model. So, like, maybe they have both of those lined up of, like, you can turn it off and on. Um, or it is a, if if enough people don't care, 
they'll probably just keep it on the whole time. And that's a way of Spotify arguing, well, we're giving you more promotion. We're putting you on these playlists. We're putting you in the front page on people's screens. Um, but at the end of the day, we're making money. That's what Spotify wants to do. They want to be profitable, especially yeah. now that they're public. They're a public business. So shareholders are probably hungry right now for some some returns mm-hmm. um, in their investment. And so Spotify is trying to find ways in order to get them their returns. There was a spot. It, it was very weird with streaming. There was like a hype train of like, well, there was twofold. It was like, there was a big crash of like a lot of those Spotify stocks and stuff because people were just like afraid yeah. because they thought, well, you don't go in the car anymore. So people stream less Then the podcasting and other stuff turned up for Spotify. And then it, skyrocketed up and then mm-hmm. recently it went down again so i feel like you're right on that as the investors are kind of like what's going on here because it, it's been on a wild ride for the last year as most of the economy has yeah but- and, and i think with that uh necessarily i think spotify did have a bubble like a, a big bubble of uh of lack of competition so they were they were in that space and they took up a lot of the market share um, when it comes to entertainment, because it was the only thing people could do, right? They were definitely, and I've said it on the show before, they were considered kind of like the Netflix of music streaming. Exactly. So they had so much brand recognition that people would just ignore them compared to some competitors. Not to be like Amazon Music is far off, but yeah. like still, it's it's Spotify. You yeah, know? and now consumers, because everything's reopening again, people are traveling and setting travel records. There's more competition, and people are distracted more. People are going back to their jobs, people are going to go see shows uh, and supporting music in other ways, not necessarily This isn't, streaming. especially artist-wise, isn't like right in your face all the time as it used to if I was, you know, an artist sitting on the couch a year ago. So yeah. this might be like, well, I got other stuff to do and I want to promote my music. I'll just turn it on. You know what I mean? Uh, but I, here's the other question that kind of goes into it, and I'll mix these two together. One, kind of like what I was saying before, there's a concern that th- what if it's like a yes or no switch, then kind of that idea I was saying is everybody's promoted, who's promoted? And then two, uh, how is this rate calculated? Yeah. They've ne- they haven't said yet. It's not like 30% or something. They haven't said like that. They said it's just a lower amount of money promotionally for the artist to take home. Yeah, which could be, oh, it's a lower amount. Well, how much lower are you cutting out of right. my paycheck? <laughs> and if it's, and, and here's the thing, it's like, when you pay promotion in a traditional way and you go to a company and they do it and they, you know, this is, uh, I'm making up names. This is Dave. He's in charge of your radio promotion. He goes to all the radio people. This is, uh, Hannah. She's in charge of all your social media promotion. She makes sure that kind of like more concrete for people to understand like, Oh, that makes sense. Dave's got to live. Hannah's got to live. But when, if it's literally like a switch, they just throw on, then that's a little bit harder of an argument to be like, we're dying here. I get why maybe they're dying because they had to do like R&D and stuff. Mm-hmm. But even then, that's going to be a harder thing PR-wise for Spotify to communicate. Like, this is why this percentage is so high. Yeah. You know. Well, I think it's a lot to keep up with, too, especially depending on how much it will be regulated, if at all. Um, and if it's going to be even. Yeah. If you're a major label and you want to do the promotional thing and you're already providing so much high paying out, you know, reasons that you subscribe to Spotify artists, you don't think they're going to get a little bit better of a rating. You know what I mean? When it comes to the promotional rate, mm-hmm. I think they are. I think rightfully so. But also 
It's a lot of PR stuff. And also that number of them getting a better rate compared to a regular indie artist, the difference in that is going to be the difference between how much people are going to be outraged and how not outraged they are. Yeah. If it's like 30 to 40% weaning towards the major label, they're going to be so mad. But if it's like major labels got like a three to 4% less rating, people would be like, yeah, that sucks. But yeah, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So I, I don't know. And then, and then I guess my last two questions, how will this impact on streams being measured? So for instance, if you're on the chart or whatever, um, is it going to be less value? Yeah, is than, that you know we've talked about before Billboard and and Nielsen and stuff they register or register like track equivalent albums and you know uh, stream equivalent albums and stuff like that. But if you're promoted everywhere and it's kind of like one of those situations that I remember BTS got into a lot of crap for or other artists also got into crap for where their song was embedded into an ad on YouTube and that would count as views for the video. Uh So would that also like, if somebody's like, I just beat the streaming record, are people going to be like, "Eh, no, you didn't. You know what I mean? Cause it went everywhere. So is that going to devalue and people are going to have to figure out a new way to kind of vet artists of how successful they're doing on streaming? Yeah. I mean, I, we've talked about the devaluation of music throughout time before. <laughs> I feel like every single episode at this point, um, it's definitely, I, I feel like we could make a nice depressing shirt with yeah. that. <laughs> music is devalued and everyone's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of in one way, uh, the music industry is, is an industry that likes to complain a lot. It likes to uh, do things the quote unquote the old way or the right way, but then something comes along and it upsets everything, such as, uh, you know, this uh, mode itself. This mode itself. Uh, I mean, streaming, streaming back in the day, piracy. Yeah. Right. You know, we've had so many upsetters. I, I mean, now the coronavirus is another one, you know, um, but there always manages to like acts and uh, very prolific people in the industry always manage to find a way to make a profit in some way, shape or fashion. And I think the difference between this industry and a lot of other industries is that you have to be creative in a creative industry to make money. You know what I mean? Right. You have to make money creatively in this creative industry. Yeah. It's, it's definitely not like a straightforward, Oh, you have a, a solid business plan and you, your product. Well, I mean, in essence, yes, but I'm talking about like, you know, a lot of this stuff is just thrown into the air. Like your music is just thrown into the air and you're just like, I hope people like it. People generally like music as opposed to, you know, products that seem like they have more of a need that's easier to understand if that makes sense. So like if you built a tool that hasn't been used before and people have been complaining about it, that makes sense. But when it's music, it's like people like music, but there's no way to say like people are really, we need like 30 more metal albums. You know what I mean? Like there's no like that. (laughs) And so that's the weird part about it and goes into promotion too, is it's a gamble. Mm -hmm. Hopefully I, I, I'm a little scared, to be honest with you, with this idea, but I don't know how the public's going to react to it. I do, also, I don't know how it's going to get delineated to the public. I feel like even if they made a responsible tool, Spotify has put themselves in a position in the eyes of the consumer and artists where they're the, no, you're not getting your money streaming company, even though all streaming companies do that. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be a hard sell on that front for you know, any, anything that says Spotify is paying musicians less people go, yeah, screw Spotify. 
So I, it's going to be a hard sell. Yeah, but then they, they're like, screw Spotify, and then they get off TikTok, and then they go to Spotify. Yeah, and then they it. listen on Spotify. So, like, I mean, it's going to be interesting in that front. I don't know how they're going to react to it, and I don't know if Congress is going to get involved, if they're going to go, like, this is a little strange. You know, we're going to maybe put some regulation on it, that like might, a payola thing. Yeah, I mean, I knowing Congress, that might be all we get, is the, this is strange, and then nothing. Yeah, yeah. I hope we do this responsibly. All right, you have a nice night. Now, yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, Glad man. we had this hearing. Okay, let's go back to everything else. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles. Podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday. Each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio-political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s to its enduring impact today. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that gangster rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. 
they said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Colin, I'm excited to say this, and I didn't think I'd be able to say it this early, but concerts are back. And they're booming right now. So yes, you heard that right. Full-scale concerts are back and getting bigger and bigger each day. As bigger festivals begin launching and more and more clubs are filling up, it's beginning to look as if concerts may be at a very healthy level by the end of the year. And in an article by Polestar, festivals have taken place such as Ubi Doobie, the electronic music fest in Ennis, Texas, gathered data from surveys to see if there's any spread rate in direct correlation to the concerts. So in a sample Sample size of 2,000 people, there was only a 3.8 positivity rate, which showed that it was lower than the general population of Texas at the time it was received. Now, a couple things to keep in mind. The festival did require face coverings during the event, as well as partnering with FEMA to set up a vaccination site outside of the festival gates with both doses of Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson ready to go. No fee or ID required. Oh my God, that's awesome. Isn't it awesome? Yeah. Like, I, I've, ne- I, I've heard of Ubi Doobie before, but I, I never like... I don't know. I'm not in like the electronics. It gives me the same positive vibe when like Ariana Grande or any of those people are like, we also have a place to register to vote here. And it's like, yeah, that's just a good thing. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And this is fantastic news, especially for big outdoor festivals such as Bonnaroo or Lollapalooza that are set to take place in August and September, as well as great news for many of our touring industry friends who have lost jobs or have had struggling who are, or have been struggling throughout the last two years. So, the main thing, Colin, I'm wondering, how how is this going to... Because they kind of set the bar pretty high with this festival. Yeah, that's definitely... I, I would describe it as an oddity probably in the future. Well, exactly. And I'm wondering if Bonnaroo or, La, or Lollapalooza need to take like, Note. notes here and, and are like, oh, okay, we can, so, we can do this. I get, you know, obviously, we want to be positive. I would love, for, especially when I worked was working live entertainment, and for the people I knew, I would love for this all to be, you know great information but i definitely think that looking at this is a little strange it's it's kind of like it's a small sample size of 2000 you're requiring face coverings and then you're also you know uh partnering with vaccination sites as well which that's pretty much all positive because like it's not like you took the vaccine at the door and it's like i'm immunized now you know what i mean uh but i feel like it's good news and I have seen and heard from the vaccine stuff that it's a lot about being with little groups of people without masks or covering and stuff like that and spreading it that way more than these giant, you know, events where you see somebody maybe for like 30 seconds and then maybe the two people that stand next to you for an hour and a half. Um, so I, I think it's, I think it's great. I, the vaccination thing is really great. I hope that they can do that and continue to do that at major festivals. And I f- feel like on the vibe of it, like I feel like Bonnaroo would do it. Like if they, you know, set it up, it's just going to take some effort. I don't think it's, you know, I feel like if you went outside, no offense, if you went outside like a country festival and it's like, this is a hard, if there was one in Florida and we're like, this is where the vaccination site is, 
you might get some shit. You well, yeah, I mean? but that's where the vaccination tents need to be. That's where they need to at be. At the end of the day, because then, if you look at the statistics of how uh, northern states and southern states compare in terms of vaccination status, it is drastically different. Correct. Where I mean, Tennessee's not even close to hitting our goal. And I, I hate to say this as well, because um, I, I, I don't want to say, like, you know, concerts are back fully yet. You know what I mean? But they're, the idea they're getting of them. there. The idea of there uh, of them are getting there. And I mean, I, we've seen concerts here in Nashville that are starting back up. Bridgestone announced a bunch of tours that are coming through right. town now. And at this point, whether we agree with it or not, concerts are back in some capacity. I agree, and I feel like the public sentiment has definitely taken a change when it comes to I would go to a concert. I, you know, I, as someone who is very cautious over COVID, I feel safe, I think, going to a concert personally because I am vaccinated and I will be wearing a mask. But if you are not vaccinated, I highly implore you to uh, get vaccinated because it is freeing in a lot of ways. It just makes you feel a lot safer right? because you'll be a lot safer. And so, I mean, that that's the end of the day. It kind of, I, I, way back... I was talking about the UK uh, has done an extensive amount of studies. And so has Germany and the EU in general with trying to get people to go to small events. And they were doing it like during the middle of the pandemic because they were really trying to get their industry back. And so they were doing stuff like this where it's like, oh, we send 3,000 people in this room and the air vac's really good and people are, you know, wearing face coverings and the numbers were good there. So it's not just like if you're looking at this, it's not just a one-off, you know, there is proof to that, that if people do do a festival and require their patrons to be responsible in terms of pandemic uh, prevention, then it works. The problem is, is requiring and making people do it responsibly. Yeah. And it's sad, like you're saying, like that northern and southern states and kind of like that uh, story I did about Wyoming when we were talking to Zach Green a couple episodes ago, how these promoters will jump state lines to avoid uh, these shows or mm-hmm. avoid basically shows that have any kind of uh, regulations. And so it's it's kind of like a double-edged sword where you want people to go. You want them to be comfortable going to concerts again to reunite the industry. But uh, at the same time, a lot of people are turned off by uh, having vaccine stuff. It's yeah. just crazy. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> I was like dying in the middle of that. <laughs> I was like, it looked like you were getting emotional for a second. And I was yeah, just I was like, crying. yeah. I, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. I mean, a little bit on the inside. It's like, it's one of those things where these regions that really need vaccines that are scapegoats for these festivals are happening without regulation. Yeah. And so it's like one of those things. I'm glad, especially Texas for having this, you know, being a Southern, very, uh, autonomous state. Uh, so, I mean, that's a nice sign too, but we'll, we'll just have to see what the impact is on the disease. But I am glad that it seems like people are making an effort to try to educate people and to try to do it responsibly. Yeah. So, well, and I also think, uh, I think the, the reason I'm saying specifically concerts are back to is, because people are are doing full capacity concerts. Yeah, now. this ain't no sixty five percent anymore. Yeah, it's it's now it's like okay, I think we're we're safe or we're gonna try to be as safe as possible 
getting to full capacity. I've seen people make the argument of, you know, people who are going to get vaccinated are probably vaccinated right now. And I was like, I understand what you mean, but at the same time, there might not, that's not always the case. Some people don't have the opportunity. And so that's why I'm very glad that, you know, at the end of the day, if you could get a vaccination outside of sight, you know what I mean? And get a dose. I, do you know how insane it would be if like, you know, you work to the bone, you're an American who's having to work 50, 60 hours a week and maybe you get to go a show and then you don't have time because you have to do your other life stuff in your mind. And you go to a show and you get the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine. And then you go to another show and you got the second dose. You're going to feel better. Or just Johnson and Johnson one shot. Like how nuts that would be. And, and a great incentive for that. And, uh, at the end of the day, I, I wish there was a way that like you just took like a Johnson and Johnson and you were like, now you're good. Good luck. Go have fun. You're all good. But that's not the case. Uh, yeah, I mean, where what what else is happening, Joe, with live entertainment? Because I know you got another story about yeah, it that's interesting. Absolutely. So this is an interesting kind of, uh, I think, experiment or um, kind of, I, I guess, past experience. Uh, experiment. Experiential. That, that, it's very experiential. Yes. So uh, there's a band called Six Sixty uh, that's from New Zealand, and they have become the biggest live act in the world this year, at least financially. So, throughout the past two years, we've seen the complete collapse of the touring industry as venues and acts around the world could not travel or gather in spaces due to the biggest global pandemic of our lifetimes. However, while all other countries and businesses around the world were closed off, New Zealand, New Zealand successfully controlled the spread of the virus by imposing heavy travel restrictions and quarantine guidelines early in the beginning phases of the spread and were open back to full capacity way before any other country. So because of this massive absence of global tours, domestic New Zealand acts have seen massive growth in popularity. And the country's current top touring act, as well as the biggest live act of the year globally, (laughs) 660 has grossed $13.7 million with, drumroll, just seven shows across the country, as well as being the first act to play to five. 50,000 people in Eden Park, which is the national stadium of New Zealand. So what's crazy about um, them playing in, uh, or, or it's not Eden, I guess you could say Eden, Eden Park, um, is that it's a big rugby stadium. And in New Zealand, rugby is huge. It's like the biggest cultural thing there, right? Okay. And so they're very protective about their stadiums and what it's used for. It is used just for rugby, Right, this act is the first concert in to be there? that. It's the first one. Wow! Yeah, isn't that crazy? And it's because the demand was so high to have like performances, and they actually there's a, apparently a little bit of like some drama going on with it uh, of like people saying like no, it should only be used for sports. It should. It this should, is a sacred place. Yeah, this is a sacred place. Right. Like it should. It should just be there for that. But. Uh, more and more people started getting onto the idea of like, okay, you know what? Like live music would be great and let's utilize the space. And I think it's actually going to set a precedent in the country for more and more rugby stadiums to start getting a bit more commercialized in the music realm. So 
At this moment, the band is on track to tour outside the country as travel restrictions and COVID cases are reducing in various countries. And Billboard explains a bit of the numbers history about the band, stating, quote, In 2019, 660 660 became the first New Zealand act to sell out at a stadium, Western Springs, 50,000 tickets. In 2020, they sold out Western Springs again and added it to a national sellout stadium tour, which sold over 135,000 tickets, the national record, smashing their old mark, 75,000 for tickets on a domestic tour. They went on to say, quote, for some, re- for some perspective, Lord has never played a show in New Zealand larger than Auckland Spark <laughs> Arena, which boasts a capacity of about 12,000 and has hosted performances from Post Malone, Harry Styles, and many other international acts. So this puts a lot of perspective into how much co- competition from outside of your country, your home country, can face when you say you're like mm-hmm. an artist, you're coming up, you know, you're in a market, you're in a country that's not known for music, right? Right. Like New Zealand's known for like having producers and stuff, but they usually always come to America for the most part or work with American artists. So everything's shut down. You have, you're, you're okay. The music industry is still functioning here. This is the only place on earth where there's like a music industry, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of these people are taking full advantage of that. And it's boasted so many people that it's shown how, oh, wait, we have music in our own country now. And that sparks its own scenes. It sparks its own production. It sparks, sparks competition for other countries, too. Do you see kind of what I'm getting at here? Yeah. So it's in a way, this actually might be a very healthy thing because to be honest, globally, a lot of the music industry is dominated by a lot of Western artists and that Western style. And I will say, if you listen to 660s music, it is very like, you know, LA production, like almost like country pop to an extent. It's more like pop pop, but it has like a country like songwriter element to it in a way, but it kind of shows like how there, there is some good out of this pandemic. I think, especially for some countries that may be able to, uh, utilize this information and go, wait, maybe if we start focusing on our, our own acts in town, in our country, we can actually start making it to where we can compete with other countries. I think they have, a leg up ahead because they've been able to deal with the pandemic so well. So you're having bands that are at like 660 here who have been playing big shows and going around and having all these people go, you know, in one part of the world, but also since we're so connected by the internet, have, you know, a lot of lookers on cause there's no concert. So if you like looked at a concert footage from, you know, 2020, you would be like, Whoa, what is this band? And you might actually be interested to see it. And they were getting more promotion from that as well. So it kind of reminds me of kind of a strategy that's used by some people where they, it's like, we're going to be the best at something due to the circumstances that we have. It kind of reminds me of like Ludwig on stream, like when became the number one streamer by doing this whole gimmick of staying up all day and streaming all night for like 30 days in a row. And it's kind of the same way where it's like, we actually have the opportunity to do this. And so nobody else does. So let's do it. And they did it. And I wanted to pull up, they made $13.7 million across seven shows in 2020. 
right? And they were the number one show. If you want a comparison of how much and how bad the music industry was hurt, uh, in 2019, which I got specifically pre-pandemic, Pink was the number one global one at $215 million. Yep. And then the rest are like Elton John, 212. So like all this is like over a billion dollars in the top 10. Yeah, So absolutely. that's how small the industry shrank. Yeah. Because we went from a billion, like what we went from 215 million to 13.7 million as the top band. So well, and this might power. be a yeah, it might be a blimp at the radar in the grant like when things open up again, but it is kind of an important thing of like when this happens how if you actually take care of the main problem aka the global pandemic in your country then you can do things again i don't mean to i don't mean to put it to like this extent but it almost reminds me of how if you guys have ever had a history class they always talk about like how america in world war ii wasn't blown up so that was part of the reason that we became a superpower because it wasn't war-torn and that's kind of what it feels like but in music here it's, it's like you actually have an audience, you're able to do it. And so you are able to have this stat that will be able to be put on any one sheet for the rest of your life. And then that will be like enough for people to be like, we should try this out. If they were the number one grossing band, you know, it, it's stupid, but it works. Yeah. Uh, Colin, you know, you want to know something funny here. Uh, how many views do you think their main music video, their most popular music video on YouTube has for an act for a global act? For a rec- global record-setting act in the touring hey, industry. See, I know you're trying to dupe me, so I'm going to say like 700,000. It is. You're close. It's 560,000. Yeah, I knew it. And that's and that's like insane for how Because compared to that to Pink. <laughs> I also wanted to add, I was like, Lord is technically a New Zealand native, and she still was not playing as big as much, you know, stadiums as these people were. Yeah. Which is nuts. I think... Uh, I think right now it's going to be very nice for New Zealand to have a market like this who's ready and been touring and can go, hey, we can go do this. You know, these other guys in America or UK or somewhere, they've been shut down. So uh, they got to get all their stuff up and running. So we've been good. We got all the techs. We got everything going. So just book us. It's going to be a great show. Unlike other people, they got to do a warm up. So that's that can be powerful. And especially when you already have all the logistics figured out because it's like, well, we know who would mix it. We know who it is. We just got to book the plane tickets and get the gear over there and then that's it. So that that's a leg up in terms of everything. Um, other than that, though, I don't know how crazy this will be like for New Zealand. Like, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, maybe maybe I'm being a little bit. I, I'm embellishing the amount of the the cause. I, I and think it's that definitely. Happen, I think it's definitely notable because it I think shows, it's more notable if you are an international music business professional because it shows even more like the diff, like how you can find a pocket, right? You know, in like a country, in like a sector, that how you, you could just make. go there and make thirteen point seven million dollars in seven shows mm-hmm. in a country that you know necessarily is not known for being the music capital of the world yeah and to be honest with you after kind of reading more about the band itself i think they actually have a chance of breaking into the western market and, and i think it's partially because, because of, these of this stats and their ability to be like we're ready to go yeah absolutely you know? because they already sold a bunch of tickets for uh their australian and i'm uh, telling you in the marketing wise it's like 
in COVID, if you had this footage of a concert going on, there's 50,000 people there. That's going to circulate on the internet because pe- everybody else doesn't have it. You know yeah, what I, mean? I mean, I'm pretty sure that video of people going to concerts might have been them. Because right. Because it was a stadium show. Yeah, because I saw a bunch of stuff that was like, New Zealand's doing really well. Look at like New Zealand, how they're able to go places. And like that's just cross-promo. You know what I mean? Being the first in anything is like that. So I, I think this band is in fantastic shape to grow and expand out of a market that's usually traditionally, I would say, harder to grow and expand out of. So yeah, I think they're going to be in great shape. I think that New Zealand has ways to go to become like a superpower but definitely (laughs) this is like an up you know what i mean and like you're saying this is completely a market that people don't think about you know why and i've talked to music professionals sometimes is you know some people want to be rightfully so the king of the world you know i want to be number one i want to do that and i've talked to people and been like why don't you just be the king of this hill you don't have to be the king of the world if you're the best at this place and you're doing well and you're making money and just do that. You yeah. know what I mean? You don't have to be the top of everything. Um, so, you know, we'll see New Zealand. I, You know, if we're all moving from like L.A., Nashville, and New York to New Zealand, then y- you can eat my words. <laughs> <laughs> um, Get a nice little cottage out there. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday, each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio-political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s to its enduring impact today. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that gangster rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. 
For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Twitch. I got to talk about Twitch because people were fuming on Instagram about Twitch because I brought it up again and people... And it kind of goes into my argument here. So Twitch, uh, we've talked about before, is dealing with a lot of copyright infringements as they claim to basically try to make a system to prevent and monitor these claims. So you may be like, we've talked about this before. It's still bad. (laughs) And so that's why I want to bring it up, especially now. And I've got some opinions from our audience about it too. So we talked about this first big wave of what's known as a DMCA takedown that happened to Twitch, which was about in the fall of 2020. I wonder why it's like a bunch of artists and labels were like, we're not making a lot of money in traditional ways. So let's find out where we can make some money. And it turns out Twitch had, and as many of you know, a lot of illegal uses of music, uh, either being streamed or recorded. So a DMCA is just for a quick refresher. You may have heard this term, especially if you're familiar with YouTube, it's the digital, uh, digital copyright act basically. And it's, or the D- digital millennium copyright act. It's a very infamous law in the tech space. And to make it really short, it protects companies like Twitch from being sued by copyright holders when their copyright is infringed on their platform by basically having this deal of, if you take it down, then we won't come after you. So it gives them like an invulnerability in that way. Now, Twitch, in my personal opinion, has basically been the forefront of you know live streaming and is owned by mega giant Amazon, who has a plethora of copyrights that they monitor and use and exploit well. So what I'm getting at is it's like it's not like they don't have a support network to figure out what the hell is going on and how we're going to figure this out. But they're kind of not doing it. And they from a long time ago, you know, obviously when they, you know, were Justin TV, you know, little company, I get it. It wasn't at the forefront of their mind, but they've had years to try to figure out these issues with copyrights that they've just kind of, you know, look the other way at, in my opinion. Yeah. Because they were like, if we look at it and acknowledge that it's a thing, then these companies are going to say, we want our money. So that's why they were doing it. Yeah. And Twitch does not like paying money. Nobody likes paying money, but like 
you know, the money goes to the artists that are paying, you know, who have their songs being used and, you know, people go to streams and they go, well, we like this music. We'll stay here too. And we like you. And it's a part of the performance. It's the same way I was explaining to someone who kind of didn't understand Twitch. If you were, you know, at a live show or a sports arena and there's music playing and it's pumping, you, everybody pretty much agrees they should be paid for that. You know what I mean? If it's enhancing the experience and everything and it's part of the experience. Mm -hmm. So many big creators in July of last year of 2020 just started getting many. uh, This is the bad part. They started getting their videos like taken down a lot of them and they started getting even threatened by Twitch to get taken off the platform just all of a sudden because Twitch went, oh, crap. All these people are coming after us and we have to take it down. And so all these streamers got blindsided because they were now in an environment that Twitch had created where unlike YouTube, who's still learning, uh, had been ignorant to copyright law, basically, and understanding that these artists get compensated and you're not supposed to just play music to hundreds of people all the time. So they were like, what's going on? Why am I going to lose my channel? I don't understand. I've been doing this for years. And Twitch's policy states that repeat copyright violations will result in an indefinite suspension of accounts. So people were really scared. You know, if you built your whole streaming career up and then Twitch comes up to you and says, you're going to get suspended infinitely for this thing that we just didn't pay attention to. So anyway, it's nerve wracking. I I remember when that happened too, because everyone was stressing because they were like, I have to go through every single video now. Right. And I'll get into that too. Now, a year later, Twitch still has many issues involving copyright uh, and basically has created a system that is still confusing to streamers. And I'll also say streamers have a community of that hasn't really ignorantly, either willfully or just not knowing, have been doing this. And so copyright holders of labels and publishers have been coming after it. So there's kind of two issues here that I'm going to put out here. One, there's the live stream itself, which is a different right. And then like to play music on a live stream. Mm-hmm. And then there's the recorded on-demand video service, which is actually what most of these copyright infringements are going after. There's a system called VODs. They're like video of the days. And they go on people's channels. And it's just like if you clicked on a YouTube video, you could watch part of their stream or watch their whole stream sometimes. And a lot of the times these like channels just auto upload them on when you stop streaming. It'll just go boom, VOD is there and stuff like that. And so if you miss the stream and you want to watch your person, okay, here it is. We can watch it. Uh, but problem is, is that these streamers other than the ones who are ignorantly, you know, just playing music and blaring it on their stream. Some of them will stream for multiple hours and there'll be like one thing in there. Like somebody will come at, you know, somebody's phone goes off in the background and they have a ringtone and then they get a DMCA takedown for the whole thing. And they don't know where it is because they, and this is what happened to all these streamers. They had to comb through hundreds of thousands of hours of video to find little things like that to try to edit them out. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's sounds as an editor. That sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) Or you were doing it. And you were doing it, you know, just playing your Spotify that with copyrighted music and you just, the whole thing's gone. The whole video, you cannot put any of the video there. And some of those, again, some of them were doing it willingly and knew this, you're not supposed to do this. And some of them just were ignorant about it. And I kind of blame Twitch for not perpetuating that, but also just the streaming community in general for being like, you just play it. Uh, To their credit, Twitch has added over the last year, 
a couple of tools to manage takedown requests and to delete videos and all this kind of stuff. This is the one you're going to, we talked about this probably like seven or eight episodes ago. I, they made a service that was called soundtrack by Twitch, which if you may remember was to have cleared music played on these uh, streamers streams. So, okay. And s- Twitch has basically struck deals with all these distributors and a handful of indie labels from around the world. So not like a lot of really, really, really big things. Uh, so here's the thing about that. When we covered it, it wasn't clarified yet, but soundtrack by Twitch only covers the license for the music when you're just streaming it. Oh, it's man. not the on demand VODs. Yeah. So like if you're playing it in the stream and you're like, guys, let's listen to this song. You're cool. You know, if it's through soundtrack, soundtrack by Twitch or other services where you have copyright free music, then you're cool. But unlike those other copyright free music services, uh, Twitch's license didn't go to when it got recorded later. So they would just immediately have to get rid of it and people didn't understand it. It's confusing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's very confusing. Yeah. So it, like, And for a lot of these creators, you know, they, they don't work in the music space. So no, how, it's you weird. You have to educate the community and, and make them understand why this is an important thing. Right. And there's whole different levels of it. Like we talked about on the show, there's the recorded piece of music itself. There's the song itself. And those are different rights. So it's very confusing if you've never navigated this stuff before. So I guess, I guess my last thing is uh, Twitch added in their claim and they sent a email over to a lot of uh, creators. The dreaded email. Right. They always send these like <laughs> dreaded emails that sound really dark. They said, we are committed to uh, being more transparent with you about DMCAs. We recently received a batch of DMCA takedowns with about a thousand individual claims from music publishers and all of the claims are for VODs. So those recorded videos and the vast majority target streamers listening to background music while playing video games or IRL streaming or in real life streaming. Uh, based on the number of claims, we believe these right holders used automatic tools to scan and identify copyrighted music in creators' VODs and clip, which means they're likely to send more notices. Mm. Uh, we're actively speaking with music labels and solutions that could work for creators as well as rights holders. This is our first such contact from the music publishing industry. Okay, there will be several <laughs> owners for a single piece of music, and we are disappointed that they decided to send takedowns when we are willing and ready to speak to them to talk about solutions. Uh, come on, Twitch, you know this. It's the bucket is on your plate. They're not gonna. They want as much leverage in these conversations as they possibly can. So they're gonna give you five million DMCA takedowns. And so when you go to the table, they go, "Well, you technically we could sue you right now if you don't take all of this off, or you could pay us twenty percent more in this deal, and we'll make more money." Yeah. And so they've created a situation that is just terrible. Like, and honestly, I'm not saying from like the Justin.tv days that they should have been like on the ball about this. But when they got acquired by Amazon, Oh, it should have been a media. It should have been a pressing issue from yeah. day one. And they, I I'm surprised I, they should have gone from day one. They should have gone to everybody. We're reforming the system. We need you to know that it's illegal to just play like Spotify type music that isn't cleared. And you need to know this as a streaming community and do that. But, you know, I know what they were thinking. They were like, we're going to lose all our content creators because they're going to go to YouTube music or whatever because we're going to scare them. But now you're in this terrible situation where you're going to pay so much more money for everything. Yeah, I mean, it gets harder before it gets better, you know, like especially in this transition because we saw with YouTube before of everyone freaking out 
And a lot of, I mean, now it's like, it's the running joke, right? You, you post a video on YouTube, it's going to get claimed. It's going to get claimed. Like no matter what, it's going to get claimed. And people on YouTube have accepted that they've, they've seen how that's a thing, but they managed to work around it by working with sponsors and, and people that, uh, are, are comfortable, uh, giving them money and supporting them financially. And I think that would work. With Twitch too, I don't see how that wouldn't work with Twitch. It's kind of it's a live video medium. It's it's kind of like TV in a lot of ways. Um, but problem is, you're right. Uh, Amazon did not, I guess Amazon or Twitch, but they did not. They like they just decided they got to sweep it under a, the rug. When they got bought out by a company that already knows about content licensing, has millions of lawyers, knows all about like, you know, the idea of intellectual property rights. It should have been a major concern of the company. And the problem with this whole thing is that they've thrown it on to the problem of the streamers. Yeah. They said, This is your problem. You yeah, figure it out unless it, you want your channel gone. And I, I have a feeling, you know, uh, and there might be another streaming platform that a lot of those, uh, a lot of those streamers are just gonna end up going to anyways because of how bad. Twitch oh, if has you been. get kicked off of Twitch, you're never going back. Yeah, you, you know? go to YouTube, right? You go to YouTube, you go to Facebook, you go to any of those other alternatives, you're never going back. So you're just, you know, killing these creators who, you know, and I'll get to this too. Is the idea of the streaming community and like people in general and they're like willful and not willful ignorance on this. There are people who are old enough to remember when Napster was suing or getting sued and music companies and the RIA, uh, history of publishing, <laughs> you know, and everything, everybody was getting sued. So it's crazy to me. I did a poll. And if you want the uh, thing of it, I did a poll. I said, do you think streamers, video games, IRL, et cetera, should have their streams taken down for using unauthorized copyrighted music, AKA the artist isn't directly paid. And at the start of the recording, it was 43% yes to 57% now, and now it's 50-50. Mm. This is a divided issue. Yeah. So even like regular people, streamers, communities cannot come to this consensus that, you know, this is technically illegal. Like you can't do it. And I get it. Like at the end of the day, who the hell cares if you play like a couple songs on your stream? But it's... The artist cares. Right. If they're not getting paid. But I, I do see... Um, the, the problem with coming at this issue with old school, like an old school rule book. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think people, I mean, you saw it, you were telling me off mic a little bit. People already are finding different ways to combat the system and combat Oh, yeah. The There's a couple Twitch people who have figured out, like, this is how you get it. And so it doesn't show up on your VODs. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're figuring it out. And it's kind of like one of those things where we're in this great balance. And Twitch is not afraid to throw this problem on to y'all. So if you're a streamer, like your streamers and stuff like that, you got to look out for yourself. You got to look out for yourself. They're not going to protect you at all. Like you may have the amenity that there's thousands of streamers out there, but these bots will find you. You know what I mean? Eventually. Takes them two seconds to come through that website. Right. I mean, they just throw that thing at it. Like they said, they think it'll have hundreds of thousands of more claims. (laughs) So... You know, Twitch, you have a fun time with that. I wish you would treat people better in that way, but here we are. Um, here we are. I sound like a, the old school. Don't stream music illegally, kid. Never. I've never done it. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> My favorite is the high school play. That was like the 
the mic was terrible and everything where it's like, don't stream music, kids, because the cops will come. And then it's like the cop comes and like busts through the door made of cardboard. Police. Yeah. <laughs> just by, and I, I guess before we go to the music, at the end of the day, the person that this hurts most is everyone and artists who aren't getting paid. Absolutely. Well, Colin, what have you been listening to? Oh, man, Joe, you caught me. Okay, first, <laughs> I know you were with me. We both watch. It's musical comedy but it's still very good music as we watch bo burnham special it's so good so good and the music was great completely recommend it i've been listening to the songs on youtube he did an official one of the uh, welcome to the internet song Mm -hmm. which is pretty like synonymous with just uh, describing the internet to people yeah uh so i'd go check that out i've I've bumped that a couple times and the views on that are like been skyrocketing on youtube it's still on like the top of music trending it's like it was like seven the last time I looked at it. Yeah. So, you know, it's good to hear from uh, Bo Burnham. If you don't know who he is, he's a musical comedian. He's one of the funniest people that have come out of just like the YouTube internet age. And he continues to just be a monster whenever he comes out because people, I, I feel like people forget that Bo Burnham exists. And then everyone, like when he puts something out, you know, it's been a couple years as he addresses in the special, they're like, Oh yeah, that's the best guy ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, he's so secretive, honestly. Like as someone who has such a massive internet uh presence and weight, he he doesn't put much content out there right. for you. You have to really dig for him. He reminds me of like a very much older kind of comedian in that way where it's like I have created this product for you and spent so much time to create it and so you can see that in his music it's so fine-tuned yeah absolutely um well i've been listening to uh samia's newest single uh show up which is amazing and then i i went back to gus dapperton's orca i just think it's a it's such a good uh put together record and i i I just love the songwriting because I think he really found himself as an artist uh, with that record for sure. And then I love um, the song called straight out of Mumbai by uh, Jay Paul. Um, And it's, it's, I just love it. I love it so much. It just (laughs) brings me joy. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's uh should we like do something fun for the camera? Only for the video listeners. (laughs) I guess we'll just wave. Just wave. And just don't say yeah, anything. audio listeners, we're waving right now. So goodbye. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Biz Tape Podcast. If you like us, be sure to download us, rate us, do whatever you want. You can follow us at the Biz Tape everywhere. We'll be here every week. Thanks, guys. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles. 
hosted by MC8 and Big Steel, is every Thursday a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.